Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, this is my favorite space that I have an opportunity to thank our guests. And I want to thank them because I know for me personally that a couple of things are very expensive to me and I know it must be for them, I assume so. Time. Time is a beautiful commodity. It is given to each and every one of us the same measure so that none of us can complain and say, anything against each other is how we utilize our time that tells us who we are. The other is the journey, the journey that formed us who we are today. And I want to thank David for coming and sharing both of these very expensive commodities so that you and I can learn to become better human spirits while we are here on this planet called Earth. David, thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you very much, Ken. It's a pleasure to be here. It is an honor to have you, sir. I want you to tell uh, um, the audience, and I have been um, educating them to this fact that they are we are creators. We create by the way we process our thoughts, what we allow to come into the space of us, and we magnify it, and it becomes a behavior which becomes a lifestyle. So. Um, I want you to educate them as to how do you serve others in this uh, journey of ours? Well, I'm always a great believer in doing what you say. So the way that I serve is I do what I say. I literally, if I haven't done it, I don't teach it. Yeah. So in my life, helping others has really been a journey that started probably very self-centeredly with my trauma and it's got to blossomed out into an experience of connectivity and realizing that there was hope that there was a chance and that there was a way to stop driving forward looking in the rearview mirror of my past so how do I help people? I educate and I then demonstrate. So anyone who's with me as one of my students, uh, they will get the name it to tame it, as Dr. Daniel Siegel says. If you can't understand the system, how do you operate it? And secondly, feel it to reveal it to heal it. We've got to work through our feelings. Feelings are quite complex, although yeah. at the highest level, they're an energetic vibration. And mm -hmm. probably at the simplest level, the nervous system's way of saying, hey, it's get more of this or get a hell of a lot less of this. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing that I do, of course, is rewire to recover. I help people repeat those things over and over and over and over again. Because as one of my coaches, uh, Dr. David Schneider says, there's no such thing as confidence. There's only doing that thing until you've become good at it. Yeah. And a lot of my lads and ladettes will say to me, hey, Dave, I'm really not confident because I work a lot with social anxiety. I'm not confident in approaching that person or, you know, talking to this person or possibly telling this person something. And I want to wait till they're confident in order to do that. And I'm going to say to them, well, the only way to get confident is walk that 20 meters and do those drills, get those skills and yeah. keep repeating that. So that is how I help people. It's very, very practical. It's strategies. And I walk the walk. I don't just talk the talk. Yeah, I love that. I have a simpler explanation that I tell people. I said, uh, because my background is I grew up in a church. I said, there's the members, 
and then they're the disciples. <laughs> the members <laughs> just sit there, but the disciples are interested in getting answers. They're the ones that were asking the question, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And then the teacher turns around and says, what, I, what I'm doing, you can do it too. So I'm just here to show you how to do it. And so that he kept pointing back to them and said, you know, you can do the same thing I'm doing. So I tell mm -hmm. them, strive to be a disciple. A disciple is what David is talking about. You have to, um, it is called, it's discipline. That's where the word mm -hmm. comes from. And so that is one of the most important principles you will ever have to learn in your lifetime because it was discipline that got you where you are today. So you just have to learn how to reuse that discipline. So David, our custom here is to start as young'uns, as they say, one of the first space that we visit is that family unit. And we reside there for several years and then we move and graduate, gravitate to the other uh, units that we are uh, part of our programming. Uh, invite us to your home, as to your family unit, what was that like? And uh, how did you um, uh, come out of it, if you will? <laughs> well, what you see today is what you get. <laughs> so, my family unit, well, that's an interesting one. Um, a very isolated unit. There was a mum with severe mental health issues, considerable anxiety. Uh, there was a father who was probably on the autistic spectrum and what I call an emotional vacuum. So dad would just suppress everything until it came out in aggression or some other form of, well, unpleasant behavior. Yeah. And they were in the military, uh, Air Force to be exact, and they traveled. So I really didn't connect with my relatives. I was an only child. Yeah. And my upbringing was really, my growth was, was uh, well, slow, shall we say, yeah. especially my social growth. So I was kicked out of kindergarten, you know, for being disruptive and aggressive. Uh, I was the bad boy at school. Um, <laughs> I, I was pretty much the epitome of the guy that was going to jail by the time they were 18. In fact, my career counsellor said, well, you know, Dave, we don't really need to worry about you because you know what? <laughs> you're going to jail or you're going to be dead on the road by the time you're 21. <laughs> wow. So it was like, yep, this is a really good start to life. Uh, and ironically, I only realised a lot of this when I became a, a, a social worker yeah. and I worked in mental health services and there started to be like diagnoses for the things I was seeing. And I went, oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, that's my mum. That's my dad. Whoa, yeah. that's interesting. And when I was young, uh, of course, relationship, uh, I wasn't very good at it. Yeah. And I joined the military pretty much out of school. And they were like my family. Interestingly enough, the, the military gave me the discipline you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me, uh, it's not all bad. My mum gave me a very good sense of empathy. Uh, and, and my father... He really did care, although he just wasn't able to show it. So there's no, I don't always see it as all bad because post-traumatic growth is where we look at the learning lesson or where we, we find that thing we can utilise. Post-traumatic yeah. stress is where we're stuck in the story. And so for me, post-traumatic stress was the most of the early part of my life until I, I came into that growth period. 
where I realized, let's utilize these experiences. Let's utilize that pain and let's find out what I can learn from that pain. So my military experience, I spent nine years in the army. I quite enjoyed that. Uh, I kind of did my knees and my back apparently, but that's another story. And then I got out of the army. My first relationship with my first wife completely failed. It imploded. And I met my second wife quite quickly. And I've been married 26 years to her. And, you know, there was 20 odd years there of of real painful growth. Yeah, yeah. Until I was driving down the highway one day, and it was probably about 10 years ago. I was driving down the highway one day, and I realized something really important. You know what? It's about me. Yeah. It's not anything she's done. It's about what I'm doing. Yeah. And what struck me was that I'd been in the profession of social work. I'd been in the profession of therapy, yet I still hadn't had that deep realization that I had to change me. Yeah. So I went home. I sat on the couch with her and she's looking at me like, oh, my God, who's this? She was <laughs> watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> I grabbed her hand and, you know, there was a, there's, I'm a profiler, so there, there was real yeah. emotional distance between us because, you know, uh, ex-military and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she's looking at me like, pretty suspicious. What's going on, Dave? And rather than bagging out the show, which is what I would have done in the past, I said, hey, babe, can you tell me about what's going on? And she's like, what? What do you want to know about what's going on? You never want to know what's going on. Uh, I just want to know. And I held her hand, and, of course, she's quite reluctant to do that. So it's a very yeah. awkward sitting on the couch in front of the TV, yeah? Yeah. And this is the thing and why I'm telling this story, because it's important. My eldest daughter came out and she said, oh, my God, Mum, have you got cancer? Because she <laughs> saw me holding my wife's hand, showing an open display of affection that I'd never shown before in our whole time that she was alive. Wow. And mum goes, no, 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 dad's just decided to change his behaviour reluctantly, she's saying. It's like, what's going on? Where's the trick, you know? And because power and control dynamics also teach, yeah, these days. So then she's like, didn't, wasn't convinced. And my middle daughter comes out and she didn't care. She goes, oh, yeah, whatever. Where, how long? I think she said something like, oh, it won't last. <laughs> that was it. It won't last. <laughs> but my young boy, he was about 10 at the time. And every time I'd hold my wife's hand, he'd get in between us and push us apart. Yeah. So in the supermarket, he pushes apart. And I said, what, what are you doing, bro? What's that about? He say, oh, you're too old to hold mum's hand. Mm -hmm. What about that couple? Oh, they're too young. What about that couple? Oh, you're just, you're just weird. So literally his socializing as well, it was just out of, he was literally just, his brain hadn't, hadn't processed yeah. this data. And it took about, it took about ooh, four years of concerted effort. And I mean concerted yeah. effort to, to create safety, communication, yeah. emotional, mental, physical safety. I've never been physically problematic. Yeah. But of course, verbally, as someone with post-traumatic stress, you can be quite angry, yeah. a lot angry, very depressed, because uh, depression is suppression of our feelings. So when we, get, yeah. we suppress the energy and motion of the feeling, which is what emotion is, yeah. it, it accumulates, and that's what does the damage. So... Took about four years to sort that lie out. And then that was, as I said, 10 years ago. So now, yeah, now we're, we're on a pretty even keel. But uh, I, had to, I, I had to do it. I had to make the decision. Yeah. 
Dave, you've got to stop blaming others. You've got to stop looking at them. You've got to look at you and you've got, you've, got to, you've got to regulate this and you've got to do what you preach at work. You've got to do what you're telling these. I've always tried to do it, but that was the epiphany. That was the time when I really put in the absolute effort. And my contribution, even if it's small, is just maybe to my family because I have repaired those relationships to a point. Although my, comp my, my, my contribution, comprehension really, <laughs> contribution is, is, about, is about showing how that can be done because I did it the hard way. Yeah. However, now I know the easier way. So that was my early life kind of all the way through, just trauma plus plus uh, 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 and traumatizing others. That's the irony of it. You're going along yeah. and you're so self-centered. You're not narcissistic because narcissism is a particular diagnosis and it's bandied around nowadays and it kind of gets my goat. Oh, they're narcissists. It's not. No. There's self-centeredness where we're surviving mm -hmm. and it's all about us yeah. because we can't handle any emotional or cognitive distress yeah. anymore. So we can be very self-centered, but that person still has empathy and compassion. They still have times when they're able to show those movements and even though they might seem small because of the way that we filter through how we feel. It's called uh, emotional refraction. Dr. Paul Ekman will tell you all about it. We filter all our data through our feelings, literally. It's not about the head necessarily. Mm -hmm. We're not heads on sticks. We are literally a feeling and experiencing system. And yeah. the body holds that data. So when we're distressed, we're filtering through the quality of that feeling. And that makes us miss other data, other good things around. So people in perpetual distress, perpetual trauma, often are actually just self-centered. When they yeah. get out of that place, effectively enough, they, 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 they can start to kind of expand their ability to think about others and do the things they really know they want to do. Truly narcissistic person doesn't think about others. It's all a cost-benefit analysis. It's what do they get yeah. out of it. A traumatized person is usually surviving. So yeah. I was in survival mode for, well, till probably I was about in my early 40s. Mm. I was in survival mode. And, and you know, I was, I was do, going through the motions. Uh, yeah. And in, as I said, interestingly enough, being a therapist <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, going and, and <laughs> therapeutizing. I'm not nowadays on the behavior of some different profile and yeah. relationship specialist in this way, but back then it was going through those motions. And I, I think, I think most of us, and I've talked to my colleagues about this who have trauma and we're in the therapeutic field. We're really trying to fix yes. us. Yes. We're really trying to fix us. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's probably my answer, Ken, for my early, a very small snapshot of my early life to today. Yeah, it's um, I as I'm uh, hearing you uh, give your your story. Um, I know you had mentioned as a young man of the type of trauma that your parents were going through, and here's this traumatized young man is now going to go into a system that is designed not to allow that trauma to be seen or heard or whispered. So this young man has to um, now began to change and began to morph that pain that he has so no one can recognize it in order for him to function within this system that is designed not to allow Nuts. you to feel anything. Nuts. And Nuts. Um, 
now you're in there, and I'm fascinated because here all of this stuff, uh, Dave, and now this young man is going to head into therapy. How in the world did that happen? Because this young man is a walking time bomb, if you can see it, but he, this walking time bomb, and I've, uh, you're so correct, I've interviewed so many therapists that were walking time bombs until yeah. they began to uh, deal with themselves. So how did you make this decision, David? Because that is a fascinating story. I want to know how did you do that? Uh, through a lot of pain. You see, there's three ways that human beings generally change. And I, I work on the, what we call a human perspective. So I work, I'm biologically correct not necessarily politically correct. So please forgive me if I offend. I don't yeah. need to. I work in the biology of it. So how did I make the change? I went through enough pain, enough pain how did you become, to realize. How did you become a therapist? Why did you become uh, a therapist? And how did that well, journey happen? How did you head to that <laughs> specific field? When in the military, you have other different fields to go yep. to, but you ended up yep. a therapist. Much easier. That's Much easier. <laughs> Much easier. <laughs> well, when I got out of the army and I, I, my, my first wife, we divorced and, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have anything to do with each other. And, you know, back then I was pretty self-centered, so I was all about her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you do when you're, you're in that trauma space. Yeah. Um, and realizing, not really, really wanting to accept that, you know, you've got to look at yourself because mm -hmm. we've got these cores. And I'm just, I'm actually finishing my, my book about yeah. all of this stuff, um, about all the profiles and everything. You've, we've got these cores and these cores are installed into us very young. Yeah. So we've got, we've got our epigenetics. And I am getting to how I became that therapist. So it's, it's, yeah. it's the background yeah. is probably important yeah. scientifically. So we've got epigenetics, like three generations of our ancestors' stuff. We carry mm -hmm. that. We carry that stuff with us. We're born yeah. with it. And then we've got our genetics. Then we've got what happened to mum in the womb, and, and that's directly encoded through the chemicals and hormones and things. Then when we're born, literally we're a blank slate with a genetic load, probably about 60%, I'd say, roughly. I can't say for sure. And then we're a blank slate. We're just absorbing everything. And we have no sense of self. So yeah. literally your first identity is everybody else's. Mm -hmm. You are them. Yeah. And you've got no way of assessing it here in your prefrontal functions or like logically gone, oh, that's me dad. You know, he's yelling at my mum, but he's had a hard day at work and he's being a bit of a technical term douche right now. Yeah. So I get it. You know, all of 18 months old, you're just experiencing this, encoding it, being frightened and now... Oh my God, you and you're one. So mm -hmm. we we take that with us. So I carry that load, and I'm not blaming them because I've got a fair bit to answer for too. So once yeah. you get a cognitive functioning up here, you know, there's choices around behaviour once yes. you're old enough. Oh yeah. So how do I become a therapist? Well, when I left the army, there wasn't much call for me as a employment opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I met my new wife, Deb, my wife of 26 years now. Had a pretty whirlwind romance, and we decided to sell up everything, give everything away, and go on the road as you do. And we literally lived in our car. Yeah. And we had a young daughter. 
And mm-hmm. our young daughter was with us, literally living in the front of the car while we were living in the back <laughs> of the car. We were great parents. Oh, we were very yeah. responsible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she was traumatized as hell too. Trust me, trauma yeah. attracts trauma. Yeah. I, I'm a dating coach these days. I always say, try not to connect around the commonality of trauma or at <laughs> least understand what's going on in that system. Yeah. So... When we finally came to Western Australia, the car kind of broke down and my uncle took us on. And I lived out at 18 months on a place called Coring. It's middle of nowhere. It's a wheat country, like just wheat. Mm. It's flat. Now, as a, as a good lad that I was, I was just doing my yoga practice and literally just living the life, growing veggies, living off Centrelink. Sorry, <laughs> Australian government. Yes, there are, it was like that in the day because I was traumatized. Yeah. That's a good, good scapegoat, right? So basically, she said to me one day as our second child was coming along, she says, Dave, you got to get a job. What? <laughs> you mean i got to work? <laughs> she goes, you got to get a job. I tried the farming thing and I didn't like crutching yeah. sheep and I found it quite boring doing other things. It was quite manual and I'm not manual dude. So she goes, why don't you go to university? She had a psych background. She, yeah. I go, I'll be a psychologist. She goes, you can't do maths. You're right. Rats and stats isn't my thing. Why don't I'll be a teacher? She goes, you don't like kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> why don't you be, true story, right? Why don't you be a social worker? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll be a social worker. <laughs> so I went and I did the thing called the stat test, right? And the stat yeah, test yeah. is like, you know, you're, you're, you're not at your you're, you're older age entry. I was about, yeah. about 30 odd. And I got in by one mark into uni. Wow. Because I wrote an essay on vegetarianism because there was a special <laughs> copy. This is how yeah. the universe kind of provides for you, right? Oh, yeah. So literally there's an essay on vegetarianism. I'm pretty good at vegetarianism because I am a vegetarian. I'm an author as well. So yeah. I can write pretty well, can't do maths, can't do anything else much that I can write. So I got 80-something percent on my, on my whole thing because this essay, I yeah. get in, get a HD, high distinction average, so so much for the tests assessing yeah. our intelligence right <laughs> get in high distinction pick of the jobs i go to mental health and when i went to mental health i i literally just fell into it yeah so i became a therapist by falling into it i i had my uni qualification yet i had no therapy training so they mm-hmm. threw me in the deep end they gave me 15 heavily heavily unwell people to yeah, manage yeah. Mm-hmm. And I learned on the job, had an old nurse named Sandra. So she taught me the mental health stuff, the, the, the yeah. medications and the, <laughs> the assessments. Yeah. The therapeutic stuff was like, oh, what do I do with you? I'll just listen. Mm-hmm. So over time, I learned skills and drills, went on courses, of course. And I yeah. kind of fell into therapy because it became a job for yeah. me that was kind of separate from me as an individual back then like i was the therapist and you're the patient and yeah, you know yeah. what we're kind of separate not realizing that every day they were triggering my trauma every yeah. day i was probably triggering theirs by you know being that guy and at the end of the day that's how i actually became a therapist it wasn't till i was driving down that highway that i really realized really realized what it meant to 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 actually be a, a husband, a father, a member of society in a, in, in a more conducive way and to actually be someone who could do some, some good for me. This is just me, not anyone yeah. else. Because in, in, unless I'm doing what I'm teaching, unless I am walking that walk, 
how can I tell that? And I used to get kicked out of uni for asking questions. Yeah. There was one day that I asked a question. I had this, this uni lecturer named Kate. I don't know if she's still around. Well, if she's listening to the podcast, good luck to you, Kate. But anyway, <laughs> there's a uni lecturer named Kate. And I used to ask the curly questions because, you know, I'm very head, head brain, but now I'm more heart, heart, you know, but yeah. much head back then. We had these two, we had this lady and gentleman come in and they were uh, doing a domestic violence program. This is probably where I first thought about this concept. And uh, they're sitting there and Kate says to me, don't ask any questions, David. Why not, Kate? Because I just don't want you to ask any questions. I'm like, okay. And you think university is that place where you expand your consciousness, you know, you learn new stuff, but no, David, don't <laughs> ask any questions. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. If you know it's a red rag to a bull cake, you know that, don't you? Anyway, they start talking about this domestic violence program that they're running, and they're talking about all the things they're getting these lads to do. And I put my yeah. hand up, and Kate, like, stares me down like the devil. And I said to them, um, do you guys do any of that at home with your own partners? Do you practice any of those things you're teaching those lads to do? And one of <laughs> yeah. them said, oh, no, no, we don't need to. And I went, well, how do you wow. expect the guys to pick it up if you're not doing it? And I got kicked yeah. out. I actually got kicked out <laughs> at that point, and I had to put in some kind of thing to the uni. But anyway, passed with high distinctions, yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, that was my first real foray into hearing that thing. Yet, of course, like yeah. we all do, we model things, and, you know, yeah, do yeah. stuff that's comfortable until it's not. And yes. as I said, human beings have three ways to do things. You either wake up one morning and go, oh, my God, I've got to change. Yeah. I've actually been terrible. And you know what? I really need to do that for me and everybody else. That's really rare. Or you get that person that goes through enough pain. They go, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Doing the same thing on the same day, expecting a different result. Really not working for me. Might change. Mm -hmm. Or the unfortunate person that has to hit rock bottom. I mean, we're yeah. ser seriously rock bottom. Then they yeah. change. Or they don't. So I'm the yeah. middle guy. So that, that's <laughs> how I got into be a therapist. I fell into it. It was yeah. suggested to me. <laughs> um, as, as, as the wife made the suggestion. I love that. Yeah, here, you, here, you, <laughs> here you are. Invite, invite us into that car ride. Uh, David, that um, you began to look introspectively and the lights began to open within you. Um, mm -hmm. Invite us into that car ride as you were driving there. How did it begin? And we all know that all things began with incremental pieces and stuff like that. And then the crescendos as Bolero, the, that one powerful song. Um, do you remember the um, that ride and as you're driving and you're feeling the wind if you had your door open or your ac however you were doing this ride walk with us bring us in invite us into that what was that conversation you were having as the lights began to turn on absolutely well like everything else in life uh, i wasn't doing it exceptionally well in my yeah. own relationship. And this is part of why I specialize in profiles and relationships, you know, partner profiles. So things were going unwell and I hit this thing called the midlife crisis. Now we won't call it a midlife mm -hmm. crisis because ladies have, uh, we're going to call it an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. We actually have identity crises when we go through different identities as we emotionally evolve. So I was at one level of emotional evolution and I wasn't moving forward very far. 
And I was really, really, I remember the day literally that my whole concept about my life changed where I just became really unhappy with me. Yeah. And so that car ride was probably about, I don't know, a year later. Yeah. And I was, I'd had a particularly difficult day, um, you know, having wonderful vicarious trauma with my clients together sharing the pain nowadays we don't yeah. use that technique but while well, i was back then i was sharing the pain and um i realized that my relationship was heading for like splitsville the yeah. second time although my wife is is what we call she's a queen profile uh, uh, she's a she's a a very loyal lady and she's she's a caretaker queen so she's very much about caretaking fixes broken yeah. birds like me but yeah. at the end of the day, real caretaker. Didn't know that back then. And it was at night. It was about 7 o'clock at night because I, I finished really late. And I'm um, driving down the highway in, in the old Datto or whatever I had back then. It wasn't the best car in the universe. And I was just literally looking at a number plate in front of me because I used to memorize number plates to work on my memory. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it suddenly hit me a really hard, wait a minute, hold on, Dave. You've been blaming her for a lot of stuff. Hmm. You know what? What are you going to do about this? It's actually up to you. And then I realize a really important thing, and I, I teach this now, that relationships are actually about self-sufficiency. Yeah. Non-reactive self-sufficiency is what makes a relationship, well, partially makes a relationship work. If I'm emotionally non-reactive, because you know you'd react to this, that, and the other thing, and get into the blame game, and away it would go. And I realised that wait a minute, Dave, I've got to stop reacting, but not in a way where you're ignoring, because that's reacting. The way mm -hmm. where you're being angry, that's reacting. Where you're defending, that's reacting. But in a way where you can acknowledge her feelings, just acknowledge it, Dave. Get over yourself. Acknowledge her feelings. Just again. Just do that because she's traumatized too. And I thought one of us has to be able to do this. And she's been carrying the can for a long time of the whole family. Because yeah. everyone in my family has got a fair degree of trauma, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of a trauma sandwich. And so here I am realizing deeply in my soul was one of those things where you really feel it inside. Yeah. That I have got to step up and own my stuff i'd usually use another technical term yeah i gotta own it dave you gotta own your choices you make stupid choices own the consequences the second thing that i realized is that i have to be more self-sufficient in other words needy's very unattractive yeah and so when you have trauma when i had trauma i became very needy around the reflections of love that I would perceive I got or didn't get. And if I felt, and I'm a, I'm a wolf profile, so if I felt my biggest vulnerability is rejection. And of course, mm -hmm. when I felt rejected, I'd abandon her. And her biggest vulnerability as a queen profile was abandonment. So yeah. <laughs> literally, <Yeah>. she'd reject. <laughs> and we'd be yeah. going through this loop of rejection, <laughs> abandonment constantly. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I'm just about to release these profiles to the world, actually, because they're unique. Yeah. yeah. So let's just explain what that meant. 
So yeah. literally, I was in a loop. So I had to step out of that loop and become self-sufficient. I didn't yeah. mean I, I, I mean emotionally self-sufficient. Yeah, like Dave, yeah. you, you don't need reflections from her to feel better about you, bro. Yeah, you're okay in you. You deal with you, acknowledge her, and you know what? Things will probably improve. Yeah, and lo and behold, they did. And once I understood how we're wired, because well, I hate to tell you, we're wired a little differently, mm-hmm. uh, and understood that we process language differently, and that you know we have different ways of doing stuff, and the only love language is your words, because yeah. trust me, all words create meaning, and everyone yes. works on meaning. So, and words carry an emotional charge. Yeah. So if she's feeling my words very strongly emotionally and it's painful, how the hell am I going to repair that relationship? Yeah. There's this one thing that amazes me. And and, and as human beings, we kind of do this. As I said, I'm the behaviorist, so it's a human thing. We think that the more pain I give you, the more you'll get it. If I just give you enough pain, you'll somehow empathize with me and get what I'm going through. Well, guess what? Wrong. The yeah. system doesn't work like that. The more pain you give someone, the more they run away because you're a threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone in the system, someone has to choose to not be the threat. And yeah. I chose that day, that evening, not to be the threat anymore. I don't think I got this right 100% of the time because, by yeah. golly gosh, I did not. I probably pulled this one off about 40% at first. Mm-hmm. Old behavioral patterns, very strong. And now I'm about 80%. So I can now do that thing where I can do the rock, knowledge, let the motions wash over me, let the refraction go down, let the waves go down. We can have the discussion. Or she does it to me too. It's a shared thing. It's not just me doing that. We both do it. Uh, And we can have that nice discussion whereby we can work through things in a loving, compassionate, appropriate way pre-funnily functioning regulated way rather than a blame shifty kind of, you know, it's your fault, your fault way. And, you know, if only you changed, if only you changed, well, who's going to change? Is the kids going to change? Well, they can't because they don't get it. So (laughs) the end of the day, that, that was what was happening. It was night and I had the epiphany of a lifetime. It's about you, lad. It's not about her. Yeah, uh, that is a powerful. That's why I wanted to circle back because it is a powerful um, uh, invitation that was given to you and you accepted the invitation uh, to change. And I always say to people that um, uh, the blame game has an expiration date um, and you have to choose whether you want to create a new uh, uh, picture or if you want to continue in that blame game, but it, it does have a um, expiration date. And when you accept that expiration date and began to change, that's when you really began to grow up. You began to um, segregate yourself from the programmings that you have had all through your life from wherever you came from, um, your family, the history of your family, and all of the other things. You're now beginning to redesign, if you will, yourself. So here you are. Dave, and I know, and I always want to stress to people that growth is not a linear thing. 
It is never designed to be a linear thing. And I give the example of a plane flying to a destination. And um, we know that there's turbulence and those are the things that comes in life. There are turbulence in life that comes out of nowhere. There are certain different types of turbulence, if you know, um, certain. And so based on the different type of turbulence that come into that um, uh, pilot's arena, they have to make the adjustment accordingly based on that outside yeah. stuff that comes. And so it is never linear. And because of that, you will, uh, perfection is the enemy of personal growth. You cannot and never will be perfect. You're continually growing. So don't give up because you, in your mind, you think that you can't achieve it. You can never achieve the level of growth that you are about to go on. So don't look for an ending. Look for the continuation of it and explore the journey. So here you are. You've made this decision. You've gotten this powerful insight. You got home. She's watching the show. You held her hands and she thinks you're nuts. The whole family thinks you've lost your mind. What were those tools Dave, that you bring in, because you have the knowledge from the therapeutic part of it, um, but there was a lot of things missing in you. What were those tools that you had to bring in from the external collective of wisdom that were not with you as a therapist that you, in your studies, that you recognize that you needed to bring into your space to assist you in this new journey? That's a good question, Ken. I've never been asked that before. You're right. And I knew I was missing a lot of tools. Yeah. <laughs> University didn't prepare me for it at all. Yeah. Uh, the army didn't prepare me. My parents mm. didn't prepare me. My relationship was pretty much a blueprint of whatever went before me. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do is actually a conscious decision. I decided to learn power and control dynamics. Mm. I decided to work out how we get in charge of stuff yeah. and what actually makes humans tick at the deepest possible level. So the behaviorist journey actually started there where I said, right, I've got to understand this process from, because we all want to be in control, right? Mm -hmm. I have a seven year old student and I said to her, I said, when I first met, I said, what do you most want to get out of these sessions? She goes, I want to control everything. I said, good answer. The first thing you've got to do is control yourself. That's the start of it. And she's actually married to a diagnosed narcissist, right? So she literally yeah. comes to me for, for strategies to manage that relationship, which we give yeah. her and it's successful. So there were some tools that I had to pick up. And so I went down some very deep rabbit holes, Ken, to find yeah. those tools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. First rabbit hole I decided to go down is I decided to become a hypnotist, which I am. Yeah. So I decided to learn how human beings can actually literally be programmed to do stuff. Now, hypnosis isn't about programming, although we all follow patterns of behavior and we all follow yeah. patterns of feelings, thoughts and behavior. So I went into the world of law enforcement. I went into the world of lie detection. I went into mm -hmm. the Navarro world, the Ekman world the Schneider world, I went into the world <laughs> of persuasion influence. I went into yeah. worlds that I really never thought I'd go into. 
And I started to take bits and pieces out of, and dating, the dating world. And yeah. I started to take bits and pieces out of those worlds to really understand how, what makes people tick and how they work. Now, I'm a good Jedi. I don't know if I can, if anyone's going to mm-hmm. see me. I'm a good Jedi, right? So there are bad Jedi and there are good Jedi. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of bad Jedi in that world, those worlds. Yeah. However, I went in there and I pulled out a lot of tools. And I, I went and I went to training in specific things that I needed to understand. And I put together a whole profile of how from the epigenetics scientifically, you know, validated all the way to, to today and how relationships and human beings interact so that I could understand what elements I could change that would have the greatest positive impact. And I went uh-huh. about systematically, and I mean systematically, yeah. changing those elements. And so they're the tools, and NLP, I mean, that yeah. might be, you know, a swear word in some people's world, because everything teaches us something. Mm-hmm. You know, the real, the real bad stuff, of course, we don't go there. Yeah. But the basic things whereby someone knows something and people wonder, well, how do you know that? Now, what I found is people don't let go of the magician's tricks easily. Yeah. So there are some people in the world that know a lot and can do a lot, yet you're never going to know about it. There are other people in the world that are going to bang on about it, make a big noise, make a lot of money, but they don't teach you the actual trick. Yeah. So I, in my practice, I teach the magician's tricks to the people who I have uh, vetted so that they can improve their relationships, male, female, doesn't matter in a way that they can actually begin to look at repetitive processes that create safety because yeah. all relationships are about creating safety. And I wasn't very safe. Now there's five, there's lots of safeties, physical, mental, emotional, financial, sexual, spiritual, cultural. Now communication is the way that we start to create those safeties, although we have the, I, I read body language, as I said, I'm a profiler, I'm a partner profiler. So I read facial expression, I read body language, I do all of that. I do the 26 signs of attraction, I do the seven step safety code, I do it all. Because I needed all of those elements to improve me, to make a better life for me and to make a better life for my children. Yeah. And that in that way, when someone comes to me, like I'm doing de-escalation training next week, and I use these elements and I write my own workshops. So I put these elements in, some of them, uh, some of the, the, the basic elements of creating safety on a nonverbal level, for example. So literally, I had to create safety. And that was my goal in life. So that the safer my partner is, the more she trusts me, the more she trusts mm-hmm. me, the more she moves toward me. The more she moves toward me, the more she actually recovers from her trauma. The, yeah. most, the more unsafe I am, the more she moves away from me, the more pain she gets, the more pain I get, the more we go in the revolving circle of rejection and abandonment. And then the relationship finally fails. We blame each other. And then guess what? We go out with the same person with a different face. Because I'm going to tell you, audience, we are coded. We are yeah. coded between the ages of five to eight for your intimate partner. Yep, five to eight years old. So literally, we 
are emotionally evolving with our partner or not. So at the end of the day, when we want to change ourselves, because we have to change ourselves first, interestingly enough, just by changing ourselves and the way we respond to someone actually neurologically changes our partners and changes other people around us. You just have to change yourself, ironically, to change others. I also went into the world of energetics and some other things uh, and done some really cool stuff. So literally everything about us is a vibration and people can feel your feelings. They can feel it. Mm-hmm. They are wired for it. And you can actually, about oh, about a metre and a half outside the body, you can actually register the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Your heart has a certain uh, frequency. Your brain has a certain frequency. And people, and you'll know, you walk into a room and you're feeling really good. Your emotional state's good because emotions are states. Walk yep. into a room and within five minutes you're feeling down because there's some some people in the room holding an emotional state that's down. We tune in like a Bluetooth. We literally tune into each other's emotional states. And when we get a sync, we can experience that. So what if my state can be good? What if my state can be uh, putting out what I want to get back? Like Gandhi said, you know, you've got to be the change you want to see. So not only am I visually with my facial expression, my body language, my posture, my thoughts and thoughts for me, are, you know, they're the lowest on the rung of what we do. We actually work with the body and the feelings mostly. And my feelings are all reflecting how I want that other person to experience life. Their neurology through mirror neurons will literally start to mirror and match me. And so in a relationship, we need five things. We need safety first. We need commonality. We need to be literally, we have to have a little bit of mystery. We have to have a little bit of playfulness. Now, when we're fighting, we're not playful. Playful yeah. is safe. Yeah. Unsafe is painful. And last but not least, we need to be able to process our feelings. In other words, a little bit of drama. I call it a robust debate. We need <laughs> to be able to have that little fight that's not physical and all that lot and not putting each other down and not being rude, but have that that argumentativeness between each other because we're safe enough to, yeah. to, to express our feelings and for the other person to acknowledge those feelings. And when we do that, we move forward, we evolve. When we yeah. suppress, suppression is depression. When we, we blame, when we hold them, it's called effective stickiness in science. Someone who holds yeah. that, those turned down mouth, that constant turned down mouth and that constantly holding that pain. Mm-hmm. Literally, that is experienced by others and it's well validated. So if we hold that effective stickiness of pain, we are then projecting pain and that's what people expect to pick up from us. Yeah. And, you know, my past was my past, but can I get in a time machine and change it? Can I go back in time and change one second? I can't. I can't. I I think your past... It was purposeful design for your life. There was a designer, I tell people, because it couldn't, you look at your life and you go, you know, it had to be some kind of thing. Because I tell, I say, I uh, try to tell people, everything that you go through in life, any situation, every job, all of it has meaning. You may not think so. 
but trust me, it all has meaning. It has a way to of coming together, creating you the way you need to be created in order to you for you to become that servant, that effective servant. One of the advice that I give people about um, coaches and stuff like that, I said, you need to find someone who's been through some stuff. And I said, you want to probe them to find out if they've been through some stuff, because if they've been through the stuff, how can they, if they haven't been through anything, how can they guide you? They don't know the, um, the pitfalls. They're not familiar with the pain. They're not familiar with depression. They're not familiar with all of these pain and trauma. They're not familiar, but someone that has gone through, now they have some information and that the way will they are able to give to you. And that is usually via a question that you are not thinking how to ask because they know exactly what question will produce what outcome because they've been through some stuff. And they're able to get you through yours much faster than they got through theirs because they had to learn all of this information in order to be very effective and a powerful servant in order to assist you to become who you are today. One of, I love your story when you're being, uh, beginning to talk about it. I tell people, I try to get them off of the circular life, David, and I tell them they're on the circular life because they haven't made a decision yet. The human being is designed that when you make a decision, a purposeful decision, you then uh, will do the appropriate uh, necessary things to bring that decision to pass. If it made that decision, what is that necessary thing? Go and get information, data to help you to achieve what you just said. And if you haven't been able to make that decision yet, it's because you're still thinking about it. When you're ready and you make that decision, the decision itself houses a tremendous amount of focus, power, um, a lot of things in that decision once you've decided. So I invite you to decide and it will help you to become uh, focused and you'll be able to accomplish all of the things that David talked about, that those tools, those modality that he went and gather information he is able to look at your situation and see which is best to help you get the answer for your condition, if you will. And uh, that's when someone has gone through because they are purposeful designing their life. And uh, David, from talking to him, you can tell that he has been um, a disciple. He has some knowledge how to um, hit the bullseye, if you will, because he's been practicing for a little while and um, he has learned how to utilize his skills. So, David, here you are. Your, your family is, of, of course, as you're doing all this study, your wife is looking at you, the kids are looking at you, <laughs> going, what is happening to this man? <laughs> and, of course, they have questions and you are... But they're watching you because they want to know um, as your second daughter came, ah, that'll pass. But they're seeing some consistency. Your wife is seeing this consistent behavior. The change is manifesting. 
the uh, response from them, as you said, it, they're being affected as well. They're probably not even knowing it, but they're being affected, as, as you said. And now you're a student, you're watching all of this. What was happening to you, the individual, the, the entity of David, the David that is sitting inside, that is now implementing all of this and watching results and is able to understand, even though he is going, you know, uh, he's oscillating, uh, learning more, falling back, but he's, he's, he's observing this thing. What was that conversation that you were having with you, David? What, what was the language like when you were speaking to yourself? Well, uh, you're talking in a way about the witness. Yeah. The, the real observer. The one that's yeah. not the body, not the mind, yeah. not these physical objects, not even the energetic one, but we won't go that far. Yeah. But, uh, the, the one that I guess is detached in a good way, in yeah. a way where detachment allows you to make better choices. It allows mm -hmm. you to be more loving, empathetic, and compassionate because you can leave your ego behind that one. Yeah. That one was looking at these changes as a journey and as a never-ending journey because as I, if I go back into the individual again, as the individual was watching my daughter's relationship change with me in a positive way, then in a negative way because she realised she was traumatised from me. So it flipped. Yeah. And now it's flipping back again to, you know, Dad and I, are okay and that, yeah. that was painful so what was going on inside me from the two perspectives i'm going to call i i the i that is the individual ego self and the i that is the pure witness pure yeah. witness was seeing a journey laying out in front of the other one that was a, a journey of like getting rid of all the sharp edges so you can imagine you, you put something into a crucible. A crucible mm -hmm. is heated up very hot. And it, and it gets rid of all the dross. If you've ever done any gold prospecting and you put yeah. the gold in with the mercury and all the impurities get burnt out, that's what the witness was watching, watching every impurity. And it's still a long way to go. Nowhere near yeah. the end. Watching the impurities. So every time I, the, oh, the individual Dave would have an, an argument or a robust debate, as I'd call it, there'd be a little bit more improvement, just a little bit. Yeah. It'd be a little less painful. It'd be a little less dramatic. It'd be a little less this. It'd be more able to listen. And so slowly the inner conversation that both of myself were having, my more pure spiritual self, let's call it, and my more egotistical uh, individual self was that Dave, yes, Dave, this is a journey, bro. And you know what? It's going to take some time and you're probably never going to end it this lifetime. You're going to have to keep working on this for the entire time. And that's okay. That's okay. Because the, the peace of mind or the, the, the heart and the soul 
feels a little easier, a little more at rest, a little less, you know, looking back on my life, thinking to myself, <laughs> Dave to Dave, you know, I'm not going to have guilt and shame over that one because you know what? I did my best and I made my mistakes and I owned them. However, you know, if something comes up in the future and i got to own that, yep, I own it. Mm-hmm. And so as the journey goes on, Ken, as the journey progresses, the rough edges have kind of been burned away. And slowly but surely, the, the path to gaining the result, which is, you know, my result is to be a better me, be a better you. Yeah. That's my evolution, yeah. be a better me. For my family, for the world, for everybody. That that is slowly coming to fruition, and the conversation I'm having is it's going to take time, and I've just got to be gentle on 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 myself. I make mm-hmm. mistakes, definitely, and my family. You know, I'm watching how my relationship with my son is getting better. But before, because I'm a dating coach, okay, so before, like like a year ago, he wouldn't ask me any questions. He's yeah. he's 18. No, I don't want to know, Dad. I don't want to know all that stuff. I don't want to know. No, you don't know nothing. I'm like, but uh, 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 that's the ego, Dave, right? <laughs> then one day he sits in the car and he says, Dad, tell me all that stuff you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, son. And we went to Melbourne and we, we had a really good – and our relationship grew and it got closer yeah. be, because, you know, I didn't have to push it. Yeah, I just had yeah. to zip it and wait. And even if it never happened that my, my, my own son wanted to know this stuff, I'm dying to tell him about, you know, how do you make this stuff work? Yeah. Um, if he never asked me, I'd never tell him. Yeah. Because that's his journey. Yeah. So yeah. he and modeling is the way we learn, not words. So I've got to model it. And I'll say mm-hmm. to him all the time, you know, if I have an argument with mum, and I'll say, man, I didn't model that very well, did I? And you're going, no. <laughs> You could have done, and in fact, he's he's actually schooled me on some stuff. It's scary. Yeah. So that's really joyous for me to see that, and and my older daughter's relationship much much better. I mean, we couldn't stand to be in the same room with each other ten years ago. Yeah. Now we live in the same house. She's moved back home, you know, and but it's still a work in progress, Ken. Yeah, but that's so a beautiful picture, though. Always that. Yeah, always it's a beautiful that. picture. Um... Uh, uh, David, it's, it's a beautiful picture because I'm looking at this picture from the growth of a therapist to a behaviorist. And both of them are relationship-based, dealing with relationships. But look at the outcome that you are you have achieved as a behaviorist versus the outcome as a therapist. And the... Um, the saving, if you will, or the melding of the family, one of the most powerful units on this planet, the changes that are happening internally with you, the changes that is perpetually moving you to a better individual while you're here, and that change also that is perpetually moving your family along with you on the journey of personal development. And they are growing, as you said, um, and the uh, the unit is moving um, forward and becoming. Um, and I love that uh, term. I always tell people that's it's one of my favorite words, becoming. And um, 
when you say that there's no in my mind there's no end to it because i'm always in becoming you know and yeah, um, you had said that the shifting of the mind and and the intellect as far as uh, and allowing the heart to be the premier decision maker of mm -hmm. you it's a difficult switch with a lot of people and um i tell i tell this story um because i, I tell them i grew up in a church and i remember them telling me a story about jesus christ being in the garden and he's praying about things and he decided. He said, "I, I don't want to do this because I, I, I don't. I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to do this." <laughs> and we see this uh, battle of surrendering one's mind with one's heart. Mm. It was the heart that mm. led him to go. Okay, okay, yes. okay. I give up. I give up. I'll, I'll do it. And I think everyone. And I bring them to that to show them that from even someone in that uh, uh, that rabbi of Jesus, um, the, the space that he holds, even he has to do exactly what you have to do. There is no difference. We are all human yeah. in the sense that we are all here. Sure. And this is a part of our growth. It is a part, the shift is very difficult but it is also very rewarding. So talk to me about a little, invite us about that shift, David, because here is this hippie living in the car. <laughs> I gotta call you a hippie, you know. You, you, yeah. you are on the farm. I, look at me, man, I got tons <laughs> of things on me I can't I need to show you. Um, and here is this uh, young boy, traumatized, moving through all the entities that suppressed that trauma he came he did his study, he began to move it forward. And this one piece, and we talked about it, where you have to make the switch from the intellectual to allow the heart to become now. That switch, I tell people, is not you're not abandoning the, the intellectual, you're just allowing the heart to become the prime, the premier decision maker of you versus the intellect. It is a difficult change. Talk to us. How did you do it, David? And how, what happened? What was the incident that you realized that, as again, we, we know that everything works on, on an incremental basis, but what was that catalyst that pushed you over to the edge and said, I need to do it? Well, I, that's a, an interesting question, Ken, because I realize the, the mind lies. <laughs> so, what, what through my of course all my intensive studies in different areas of you know practice you could yeah. say of how humans operate i realize that we've got actually three things going on we've got an intellect we've got a lying mind and then we've got a a, a, a more primitive system right yeah so then we've got this heart that's got neurons that yeah. actually processes complex feelings and has a memory we've also got a gut that's that also has a memory and, yeah. and and makes a lot of our mood relation chemicals you know hormones and things so yeah. so what i what what happened for me was i realized that there's 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 this situation where when we're feeling something and this is actually scientifically validated these days when we're feeling something we always accept a feeling to be true we don't yeah. question a feeling because we feel mm -hmm. it 
Now think about when we were little and we were feeling all these terrible things and they were all true and we didn't have any way of assessing that. Later on, we just start telling stories to ourselves about stuff. Yeah. So I started to realize that reality was constructed. That a lot of our reality that we, we have is actually based on how we felt at the time and the meaning we made of it, not necessarily the exact thing that happened. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So what I found was my own mind, I call it the lying mind, actually. I call it a tiger in a cage. I've got this, this lying mind and it's, it's a cage. And in that cage is this big tiger. And that tiger always is the first responder to any feeling I've got that's not good. And it always tells me the worst thing. Hmm. So if I'm feeling angry, it's, it says, oh, you made me angry. If I'm feeling sad, it's almost my trauma. This lion is in this cage. It's this lying mind, right? And what it does is it says, hey, Dave, come over here. I want to tell you something. Just come a little closer to the cage, and I want to tell you a secret. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going anywhere near you. Last time you hurt me real bad, you jumped down and ate me. <laughs> no, 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 come over here. I won't do it this time. So I've got this key to the cage, right? It's a golden key. It's a very <laughs> ornately carved golden key, right? Now, this key that you can see me holding up in front of me right now, is my choice. Yeah. And I realize, Ken, that I've got choices. That's the yeah. most empowerment you can have. Yes. So I can either open up the cage and let the lion out and trust me, or the tiger actually, and trust me, it will eat me. It'll eat me, consume me, and destroy me based on my unhelpful feelings and unhelpful thoughts that just become bigger, creating a new reality that's unpleasant, and so on and so forth. We call it a distortion where we distort we distort the, the, the memory based on the experience we're having and we create these generalizations and we create these, this new memory based on the bad stuff. And that's what the tiger does. Now, if I say to the tiger, you know what, tiger, when you jump to that bad conclusion, first thought I have, the lying mind says, oh, it's them, it's this, it's that. And I go, you know what, I'm not opening up the cage, bro. I'm going to use my <laughs> intellect and I'm going to assess the situation. I'm going to, I'm going to also talk to my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask my heart how my heart feels about this for real. Not this other feeling I'm having that's coming somewhere from my gut, but this heart feeling, not this bad memory I got from my repetitive trauma. I'm going to ask my heart and I'm going to ask my intellect to work together and I'm going to bypass the tiger. And what happens to the tiger is it literally becomes a kitten. Yeah. So you notice it gets mm -hmm. smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually it's gone. But as soon as I listen to that first responder, that first negative thought, that first response to that painful feeling, that tiger's just gone and gotten big again. Yeah. So how did I engage the heart? I realized that the heart, and the heart to me is an energy. Yeah, I see the heart as an because I, I I'm into energetic. So the heart for me is an energy, and it's an energy that's pure. Now it gets mixed up with this other stuff from the lying mind. That it's never the heart's never impure. It's always pure. Yeah. It's mixed up with this other stuff, and this other stuff starts to make the heart look like it's not pure. And then if I follow that other stuff, I generally make poor decisions. But if I just sit. And I quietly talk to my heart and I quietly ask my intellect to give me some good guidance. And perhaps I ask a higher power nine times out of 10, I'm going to refer to a higher power as well. You know, you need all the help you can get these days. <laughs> then 
what's going to happen is I can sit with that feeling and I'll do an emotional state change drill where I'll actually change because emotions are just states, feelings are states. I'll yep. change the unpleasant tiger-based feeling. Sorry, tigers. I like tigers, but this tiger's bad. <laughs> the unpleasant tiger-based feeling to a much more pleasant, loving feeling. And if I come from that place of love and I look at that person or that event again, guess what? I can't feel bad about it. It's fascinating. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. So that gives me the ability then to be able to really sit back and, and, and really assess it and make a decision from that place of love rather than from that place of pain. Because, yeah, as I said before, you know, give me lots of pain, I'm going to move away from you. But if I give myself lots of pain, how am I going to move away from me? It's yeah. difficult. So that, that, that was an incremental thing. It didn't come about as an epiphany or a change. It came about over a few, quite a few years where I found techniques also to actually make that shift physically in the yeah. body. I think emotional the, state change drills, yeah. I think the, the epiphany, most of it, is um, uh, comes at the crossroads sometimes. And once we get one big one, I think all the other things are the processes that we go through. The, the big one is comes, I believe it comes because of our personality type. Whatever is needed for us to get our attention will be called because we call it, I believe, because it knows us more than anything. We know us. And so if we are, you talk about the different types of people, you know, that the ones that have to go um, all the way to the bottom and burn it, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes make it or, or die. And, um, but based on your personality, I believe that that invitation is sent out because we have this longing inside of us. And it's also speaking, it's speaking and it's creating and pulling. And then when it pulls and it comes and that epiphany comes and we get it, it ushers us into the journey. You talked about yours in the car, that epiphany came when you looked at the license plate beginning your, your, uh, to memorize the, the plates and the numbers and stuff like that. And then it's like, Hey Dave, boom, it walked in mm. and that epiphany took you to where you are today. And uh, I believe so. Yeah cause you to do all the studying and the the other things that is necessary to create the new you that um, was already new that you wanted to be and i believe we go through those things dave because there is the designer saw a need meaning that there are other people outside that needs a servant and someone that is able to go through the hard stuff, as I tell people, you got to find somebody who's been through some stuff. The designer um, takes you through and brings you out because there's a need beyond that. And so once you come out and you become that servant, you are then able to turn to those and humbly serve because you have been broken you have been mended, you have understood, you have learned about the ego, you've learned the separation, you've learned the heart, you've learned all of it. And now you are um, humbled. And uh, when you are at that space, when you're humbled, is when one can serve and become effective. Before that, we are not there yet, and we can hurt someone. But when we are humble, Dave, I believe 
it puts us in a state that is very powerful, that emotion. When you talk about emotions or state, it keeps you, when we step out of that humbleness, that's when we start barking and going all kinds of crazy things. When we're in that yeah. state of humbleness and we look at the other individual and we see that they are precious just like we, traumatized just like we, are growing and moving just like we, as you said, our response become love and not out of anything. And that humbleness helps us to respond in love. And you guys that are listening to us, I have been excited to have this conversation with Dave because I knew that he had some deepness to him as to the data. And that is why I, I was asking those questions to extract those data so that you guys can see who is before you. And those of you that are in need, he talks about several different types of relationship, marriage and so forth. He's now talking about relationships with family, relationship with self, relationship with your, with a loved one, all of it. You have someone that can teach you and guide you, not even teach you, much more so guide you as to who you are. And I know that he will be excited to hear from all of you. I want you guys, Dave has classes, he has uh, coaching. Th uh, I'm going to provide everything. You need to get rescued. <laughs> and I got you a lifeguard that we are honored to have here on the show so that he can throw you that life uh, support so you can help your family help you as he describe his life. He saw that he was bringing his family along. And so I want to um, give you guys the opportunity to be, to have access to him. So I'm going to provide everything of Dave so that you can reach him. I know he said earlier that he's writing a book. Dave, keep me posted. I'm going to tell them that when it's coming out and so forth, so we can get them to make sure that they start buying it and giving it to gifts and the holidays are coming up, all of that stuff, uh, let us know. And we are going to make sure that we um, create a space whereby we can put you out there because I know we haven't even touched the surface yet. Dave, I just want to thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you very much, Ken. It's been a pleasure to be here and I've enjoyed my time having a yarn with everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure, man. Thank you. 